And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my friend and colleague, Brian Fisher. Hey, holding up, man. I'm doing well. Good to be back uh, back in the homestead after uh, spending a week in Arizona and uh, recovering from a few of those high temperatures and uh, some schmoozing with uh, a lot of ADs, but a uh, big week in college athletics. So it's not like any, any of that wheels kind of stops. We're, we're still on it and we're still we're still going around. And uh, yeah. at least I'm, I'm, I'm doing it from the home office this time. It, it is. It is always good to be back. It's always good to get off. Get off the road. It's like it's been like ninety today. This is like the, the first shorts day I think we've had of the year, which has been whoa, tremendous. Right, home office windows are open and everything. This is weird. I was I was actually talking with a couple of buddies of mine earlier today. I feel like this is the first time in my career when my phone has been blowing up off the hook to do radio in May. Normally, I am not a particularly popular radio host in May. The kind of nerdery that I want to do is generally not like the uh, the the thing that everybody's talking about. But now, if everyone's doing an NIL segment, talking to somebody from our kind of extended universe would, would make a lot of sense. A major reason why I think maybe people outside of our orbit have, have, have had increased attention was a clarification from the NCAA earlier this week. Uh, I, I, I think this clarification was maybe hyped up to be something it wasn't ever going to be a couple of days ahead of time. But uh, Brian, please interrupt me if I am mistaken. But if I am reading the clarification and guidance correctly, the NCAA is now saying, listen, uh, we want to remind you of our guidance that we issued 10 months ago that says that boosters should not be improperly influencing or providing un, you know, undue inducements for athletes during the recruiting process. And uh, these kind of deals need to be tied to something resembling uh, fair market value. There needs to be documentation. And we're not going to you know, go after anybody unless it was absolutely egregious. But you're all on notice. Um, and... What everyone keeps asking me is, okay, Matt, now you've had a chance to think about this for a couple hours. What's your take? Is, are the NCAA cops coming? Is it impossible to enforce any of those rules? Is it still the wild, wild Every time I hear the word wild, wild west, I have an aneurysm because <laughs> it's the same freaking thing in every single story. We, we got to come up with a better synonym or, or no, description well, for this. Please, right? I, I will give a free extra point subscription to somebody who gets a better term that we can actually get into the vernacular if we can replace wild wild west i will give you a, a comp a sub give you some stickers whatever um and I, I have to be honest and i don't know if this is just my brand or if me falling into paralysis by analysis or what but brian i don't have a great take i feel like i have a couple of questions after reading this i don't have a pithy two sentence takeaway do you maybe you're better at this than i am I, I, I can't distill it down to uh, to two sentences. I, I guess there, there, I mean there's not really much to discuss. It's, it's there's nothing really new about it. It's just really reaffirming that policies that they've kind of already had on the books and really more of just serving notice to a lot of the schools. Like like that's the biggest thing. It's like hey guys, you know this, this is your warning shot, right? And while they have kind of said you know maybe deals in the past there might be some some additional enforcement of, of some of those things and, and maybe some additional looking into the NCAA has already been doing that. The enforcement staff has been been. To schools they've they've already questioned you know uh, you know prospects and, and school compliance offices and whatnot they've looked into a lot of these deals and I, I think it's just really just trying to make sure that they, they stay busy and they are appearing to be on uh, you know on the up and up and make sure that all the other schools are, are on the up and up too because frankly it's a, it's a lot of schools just kind of saying look over there 
they are doing something, you know, and we can't prove it, but you guys should really look into it. And so I think that's kind of what the board kind of is reaffirming that, that hey, we, we do have this investigative arm. We, we do have this enforcement arm that, that is supposed to regulate you guys. And so maybe, uh, you know, maybe it does uh, scare a few people straight, but it does not seem like that. When you, when you talk with the, the agents and, and the collectives and, and the people on that side of the business, they all think they've they've been following the rules, right? A lot of, a lot of these collectives are started by lawyers. So they've already been yeah. like, we know we have been buttoned up and we have been following things. It's, it's yeah. not going to affect us. So it's, some, some of them definitely think they've been following the rules. Right, right. There's there's always a gray area, right? And, and especially when things that, you know, need kind of some additional interpretation. And, and usually like when in normal NCA processes, you'll you'll have your bylaw, you'll, you'll create your proposals, you'll do all that stuff. And then sometimes there will be a test case that, you know, is kind of in that gray area and you'll need an interpretation from the national office. And I think that's kind of what everybody kind of thought this would be not really just kind of reaffirming essentially what's kind of on the books and we'll, we'll see if it ultimately results in anything. I think more than anything, I kind of mentioned this on, on Twitter kind of on Monday is just like the things like the BYU built bar deal where, where yeah. there was a little bit of institutional involvement because, you know, cl- there was no clarity on some of that stuff that BYU folks thought they were within the rules. And I think that is definitely going to be thrown out the window. So anytime, uh, you know, a staffer gets involved in this, they're, they're going to push it away and say, you know what, we, we, we just can't, which they typically have already been doing but i think even yeah. more so that that line of demarcation is going to be written in the sand there i think i mean well i mean some states now say you can do that and yeah. that kind of trumps what you know if in tennessee you you can right i i feel like i have maybe three like three takeaways one uh i know it was kind of similar i think piggybacking of what you're saying here regardless of what the policy actually says i think it is reasonable to question the ncaa's administrative like investigative capacity there's not that many investigators. They lost a bunch of them after COVID. The people that are there now um, the, the, has not been the highest morale that the institute that the institutions ever uh, the organizations ever had. Um, and there's a, a little bit of gun shy. There's, there's some element of being gun shy, right? So even if they have somebody dead to rights, I think it is reasonable to wonder if you haven't been able to do some easy stuff where you have people with subpoena power helped you for four or five years and you got Gene Smith saying we can't let this drag on for three years we got to get things turned around in six months I think it is reasonable to say and I'm being generous here prove it because regardless of the rules I don't think you I don't think you have enough cops like I think that's that that's one thing we to, to think about here another thing based on many of the conversations I have had with people in the collective world and people operating in this gray area world. There is a class of individual who for the last several months completely believes that there is the, the enforcement risk is 0%. And because it's 0%, they haven't even tried to launder any of this to make it seem like it's legitimate. The level of sloppiness in some of these contracts and some of the relationships with collectives that I think if literally anybody in Indianapolis read them uh, would not stand up to any kind of scrutiny. And it's just people saying, like, we don't we, we, we don't care. Um, I have found I saw Darren Heitner say that said this on Twitter, and I actually think he has a point. Generally, the sports agents and marketing people that are the loudest quoted in these stories saying like, you know, kiss my ass, NCAA, come get me. Those are generally not the best agents. They're generally not the most experienced marketers. Some of those people have not passed the bar. They're not licensed. Like that is the hubris of youth. So that is just something to think about. They might be right. They might be right. But there's a reason that the most the most institutional money people are not taunting Indianapolis. 
The last thing I think I will say on this, I think the collective sports media has erred a little bit in looking at Kavanaugh's concurring opinion and automatically assuming that now every single judge would find the exact same conclusion and that amateurism is dead. Uh, For one, it's a concurring opinion because everybody else didn't agree with it. And so, like, that was him as one guy. Like, we don't know what, what other district courts are going to say or appellate courts. We don't know what, what, how things work into the legal system. And the ability for the NCAA to say, um, we don't think a booster can be involved in this marketplace during this time, but can be involved in the marketplace at a different time, is a different legal question than can, the, can, can schools collude to limit compensation generally? And I know as soon as I say this, I know Andy Schwartz, I know three different economists are going to send me an email. Please do. I, 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 I am just saying I've talked to lots and lots and lots of people. I don't think we can with a thousand percent certainty drag one case and apply it to every other little thing. We have to we need courts to, to and other judges to make that analysis for us. And that's what may happen down the road. But I don't think it's so open and shut that you can say absolutely that's what's going to happen. I mean, even in, in that Alston case in particular, you know, Judge Gorsuch, who, who wrote the opinion, he, he kind of said, you know, what? there's nothing to prevent the NCAA to prevent, uh, put in a, a no Lamborghini rule, right? I, I, I've been thinking of that. Thank you. I was trying to think of which judge said that, right? And like, yeah, that, that was that was the exact thing. That's kind of what they're trying to do. I am not saying I think that is good and just. I'm not making a value judgment here. All I'm saying is... I think maybe some of my commentator brethren and definitely some of my industry brethren are treating all of this like it's already been settled in a way that I just don't think the facts line up with. I can't get on the radio and tell you like, I think the NCAA shit's cooked. Like, I, I can't say that yet because I maybe maybe it is, but I don't I don't feel like I have that sense of certainty, you know? Yeah, and I think the the other thing to keep in mind, a good point about the enforcement. I mean, you look at the, the staff size itself. You know, I mean, it's like it's le- probably less than half uh, based on on some of the conversations that I've had than it was a couple of years ago. And it, and it's funny because as as soon as we kind of went through the, all the the rigmarole on, on Monday with this decision coming down, I, I just kind of really thought back to kind of that 2011, 2012, 2013 kind of era of the NCAA where there was so much concern about third parties getting involved in recruiting. Right? You had the Willie Lyles case that uh, took a lot of precedence with. With Oregon, there was you know concerns about making sure that you had to certify your your video services, your recruiting services, to make sure they were all on the up and up. And and we're kind of back in in, in square one with all that, right? You know, the NCAA being very very uh, essentially kind of saying as part of their guidance that they'll have to make sure that uh, some of these collectives, although they might have some some good causes, are are not booster organizations. So now you're going to go back into like certifying all these collectives to make sure they're not connected to the school, you know, directly. Like they're they're getting into the weeds here with, with a lot of these things. And then look. This, I think the, the collective space is the one thing that everybody, if you go back and, and ask them, you know, back in, in, in early June or whatever, before a lot of this, in, you know, interim guidance, I guess they, they term it, uh, was issued, like they probably would not have predicted the collective space getting this big this quickly and having this big of an impact on the market. Right. And yeah, I, I, I remember, I think we even talked about this in Slack a couple of months ago. I honestly thought when like the first half dozen of these op- like, were, were founded, like this kind of reminds me a little bit of the SPAC craze. Yeah. And and all it needs is one regulatory change for half of these things to go out of business. And that might happen. We've already seen two collectives merge, um, but I did not expect the list from go to like six to eight to 100 within three or four months. Um, and the level of sophistication 
to grow as quickly as it did. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's because I'm I'm a naive dum dum. But I, I I was surprised to see it grow as fast as it did. Yeah, and I think that kind of caught everybody by surprise. You know, it's understandable if we were maybe eventually going to get to this stage, but the the fact that it's all happened, you know, really since since July and and, and the speed of these things ramping up. I mean, you're talking about a group of five programs, you know, starting up collectives and uh, you know really designed to not only kind of stay competitive in, in the industry, but to you know kind of make sure that they can make some headwaters, you know, against some of their their bigger uh, brethren in, in the FBS. And it's it's kind of filtering on down. And we, we probably shouldn't be surprised that uh, we. we when you crack the door open just a little bit in, in any kind of college sports, you knew somebody was, was going to kind of try to kick the door down and, and, and take yes. advantage of that. So um, maybe there, there shouldn't have been that, that much surprise. I think everybody understood that, hey, look, a lot of car dealerships have relationships with schools. You, you figure that's going to end up uh, you know giving them trucks and cars and whatnot to athletes and for social media posts. Everybody understood that. Everybody knew that some of the Olympic sport athletes in particular were, were going to have a, a really big opportunity on their hand because they have great social media Followings on TikTok and Instagram and all that, and and that has helped you know tremendously. But um, you know, I think the the big dollar figures that frankly are very much unverified. Um, you know, outside of the athletic they, they, report uh, of, that actually obtained one of the contracts, a lot of this is just kind of rumor and in, innuendo. And like I was talking with ADs last week, like they, they're like, you know, you hear these these things, and you kind of you got to talk about it with your staff. Like, hey, you know, he, here's so and so making eight million dollars, or this guy was rumored to go for three million, and that stuff spread like a wildfire right now, and because it's not above the table because these deals are not being sent to any kind of third-party clearinghouse because a lot of the deals are not even being sent to the schools. Uh, You know, like nobody knows really what the market truly is. I'm glad you mentioned that because this is actually why Extra Points made that NIL uh, recruitment rumor generator we published on Monday. And I, I was pretty proud of it personally. Andy Wittry helped me help write some of the copy. We we paid a developer to help write the script. And beyond the fact that it was, you know, it's Twitter bait and it, it produces things that are funny, it, it, I wanted to kind of poke fun at the idea that so much of the conventional wisdom about these deals is only, they're, it's only coming from recruiting message boards, you know, dog avatar Twitter people um, national uh, sports talk radio people that don't have anything close to sourcing. And I think when you see a number, one, it gets multiplied in ridiculousness every couple of days. But often it's it's overstated by a factor of two or three. If you see three million being fl- like thrown around somewhere, the actual total value is probably closer to 750,000. Now, granted, that's still a lot of money. That's more of a new I are probably ever going to make in a year, maybe two years. But it's not... NFL wide receiver first round pick money. It's right or, or like actual salary cap money. But you're but you're right because um, some of those message boards work in lockstep with the collective kinds of people and the folks that are spreading that money. You have to look into it. But the valuation tools that we have above the table and below the table are hilariously not up to the task of describing what's actually happening. Yeah, I just want to. I just cool. want to take take a step back because that was a. a I know we discussed it, but my my initial rumor generator that that I did was uh, I hear that Mark Emmert is trying to recruit athletes for UNLV uh, with a signed Oscars worn Will Smith suit jacket. So I think that was like a perfect you, encapsulation. Yeah, of, you heard it here. Uh, for, you heard you heard you heard it here first. Mark folks. Emmert himself, dirty money involved. Vegas so. bag man. Um, yeah. So, so okay. in, in, conclu- in conclusion, this makes no sense. It can keep changing very quickly. I am not expecting the Indianapolis 
amateurism police to come raid the. I, I, was, I, my, I think my last prediction. I think I think I said this on the air. Then we, we can kind of transition. If the, the 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 amateurism police come and invade the offices of a collective or, or try to, to break down the doors in any of this, I do not think they are coming after Aspire or Division Street or any of the most professionalized, most institutional money, big picture collectives. I think if they're going to make an example from somebody, they're going to go to one of these smaller capitalized, maybe fake 501c3 collectives, somebody, so maybe maybe like the, the third biggest Florida State collective or, or somebody that has thrown around enough money to get a headline, but is stupid enough to have not tried to do this with any level of sophistication or cared to try and, and, and make sure any of the forms were correct. And I'm telling you guys, those deals exist. I do not. I, and I think yep. you might even be able to get some of those without immediately having a federal court lawsuit. Well, I, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the, the feds because I think that in, in talking with folks, the, that's the real, uh, you know, it's not the Keystone's cops of the NCAA enforcement that are going to come through and really uh, make a dent in this industry. It's going to be the actual IRS. It's going to be, you know, your, your FBI's. It's, it's going to be, you know, tax fraud. It's going to be stuff like that, um, you know, that are really going to get these collectors, I think, you know, kind of in a bind. And I think there's some that have, you know, kind of declared their 501c3 status and, and made a big deal about that. But the IRS tomorrow could say, you know, end up revoking that. And then you're, you're faced with a whole set of different issues. And so I, yep. I think getting buttoned up on that aspect is something that the collectors really need to be focusing on. Not necessarily the NCAA enforcement, not necessarily these rules. It's making sure that uh, they're, they're good with the government because that is a much more powerful entity than what is coming out of Indianapolis. And you mentioned those contracts too. I think that is another thing that that if, if I could have predicted something back in, in, in June or July, like the, the absolute first thing I would have said is somebody's going to get sued. We're, we're going to have an Albert Means t- style drama, you know, unfolding because somebody didn't get something that they were supposed, promised. Somebody had an awful contract they want to get out of. You know, we, we go back to the, the Zion Williamson case that's still working its way through court right now in terms of his marketing deals, uh, you know, that he signed. Like, there, there, there's going to be some issues, I think, that will eventually by, lead by to December. some lawsuits. Yep. I come, come completely agree. The, I, I will say this. There's several uh, collectives right now that are advertising themselves as 501c3s. To the best of my knowledge, only Indiana, the Hoosier for good or whatever the Indiana is, the one that Fred Glass is running, I believe that's the only one that's actually gotten it. I know that the Ohio State one is saying that they've gotten it. I know that a couple other ones have said they've got it. There is a difference between the state registering you as a nonprofit and Uncle Sam saying you're a 501c3. They might have done it, and it's not on the IRS website yet. But listen, if you are somebody who's listened to 20 minutes of this podcast and gave money to any of these people, like one, why? Two, save your receipts. Um One place where you don't have to save your receipts because you know that buying something from there is not going to cause a potential IRS investigation would be with our good friends and partners at Home Field Apparel. Rather than trafficking in uh, money laundering through potentially bogus charities to help recruit four stars, Home Field Apparel instead makes really comfortable shirts. They're fun shirts that have lots of uh, unique vintage collegiate apparel uh, logos, stuff from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, um, things that your licensing department kind of forgot about until a bunch of weirdos in Indianapolis looked through the the yearbook archives, found them, and stuck them on some t-shirts. I'm wearing one today. I'm wearing Rufus the Ohio Bobcat. they just did a bunch of refreshes and big new season, big new Saturday season four is about to start with Arkansas. So if you are a fan of Arkansas, if you are a fan of 
uh, old timey cartoon pigs of uh, you know the stuff from the heyday of Arkansas from I don't know the early '90s in basketball. Maybe there's I don't I haven't seen the designs. Maybe there's something with with Bill Clinton in short shorts or something. I don't know. There's it's there's good. a lot to work with from a lot, the yeah. Arkansas days of the uh, Southwest Conference. Like there there's a lot of logos that they can use and so, and, the, and I know they are. So uh, definitely be uh, saving your money because uh, season four is definitely coming and. Talk about uh, some heavy hitters uh, coming up. I, I think everybody will will be very pleased at some of the schools uh, in, in the lineup coming up after Arkansas as well. Yeah, let me just say this before. I don't want to get Connor to come revoke our sponsorship because, please, God, we need this money. But um, if you know me at all and know where I'm from and know places where I have had a rooting interest before, um, you can just say, Matt, I think, expects to be happy this season. So if you're trying to figure out what you should be doing with, with money, maybe that's a hint or some other schools that could potentially join the home field lineup. And that, the schools that join the home field lineup could also include your school. If you are tired of Arkansas um, and Air Force and Maryland and Indiana and Purdue getting all the limelight, I, I, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, I'm sick and tired of Indiana dominating the spotlight. Um, there's no reason why your stuff can't be on here too. If uh, Mr. Athletic Director or Miss Licensing Director or uh, Lord of Campus IP who's listening to this, my email, matt at extrapointsmb.com. I will get you in touch with people at Homefield. And if you haven't bought Homefield stuff yet, use promo code extrapoints. All one word, save 15% off that first order. Uh, last quick note here before we get into everything else. If you would like us to shill for your stuff, with the same reckless abandon and enthusiasm that we do for comfortable t-shirts and uh, and comfortable sweatpants. We have podcast sponsorship deals available at very affordable rates and ad inventory starting at the end of May leading into the summer for Extra Points, which reaches over 10,000 people every single free newsletter we send, including many of the captains of the collegiate sports industry, your favorite beat writers, and hordes of nerd fans. So if you want to reach all those people, that email is sales at extrapointsmb.com. Maybe I can use money from that to buy a better door so my kids don't come into my office like they've done twice during this recording. Um, I know that we, we were kind of joking before we, we did this that like, we don't want to do another NIL episode, but we kind of had to talk about NIL here for 20 minutes. But Brian, there's been a change in my life that you, I think, are uniquely positioned to talk about, which can maybe steer us out of this NIL collective ditch into maybe a funnier way for rich people to waste a whole lot of money. Yeah, that would be F1. And and uh, welcome to the fold. Uh, being a, a newly crowned F1 fan, I, I'm, I'm kind of sad that it took us going all the way to Miami for, for the tour to kind of get you involved. But I guess, uh, you know, time zone wise, that uh, definitely would, would uh, be a little bit uh, better for you. And and look, I, I think this is everybody, you know, it, it's funny because I, I was actually talking with some ADs about just kind of like the, the F1 boom and like what they kind of took away from, uh, you know, not only the whole drive to survive impact, but just kind of how, how the sport is growing, you know, in, in, in America. I mean, when you look at uh, the TV ratings were, were off to a record start. I think it was the second most watched uh, F1 race ever, um, you know, in, in uh, American uh, histories for television. So like, uh, you know, it, it definitely is picking up steam. And from a marketing standpoint, I think there is a lot to learn for, for a lot of schools out there, whether it's, um, you know, how, how they market their kind of personalities, how they uh, certainly get, get sponsorships. You know, I think there's, um, you know, really a burgeoning industry in terms of surrounding that ar around F1. And, um, you know, I think it's just a very unique sport 
that uh, a lot of people are, are very, getting much more interested in. And uh, I think that's uh, uh, something that the college athletics leaders, as they look to kind of grow their pie, uh, especially you know nowadays when they're locked into all these long-term rights agreements, uh, they, they, they can learn a few lessons uh, from, from F1. But uh, I, I would be curious to see what your, your first race experience was uh, over the weekend uh, there with, with Miami, the Miami Grand Prix. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit, like, I was torn about whether I wanted to get on this bandwagon. And part of it, and this is also, I think, even relevant to people in the industry, like I am 35 and sports is my job. And I try to maintain interests independent of sports and probably watch less non-college sports now than I did at any other time in my, in my life. Because like if me sitting down here watching a hockey game can feel a little bit like work. And so I'm always a little bit hesitant about like, am I gonna jump in this other thing? It's a big time commitment. I am not unfamiliar with motorsports. I grew up not that far from, um, the Mid Ohio uh, racetrack in in, uh, in in Ohio, where people were, would race on on the weekends. That's that's more informal. My dad, uh, weirdly enough, was like a really big NASCAR fan, and I, you know I say that because like my dad studied art at Yale for a while and went to Cal Arts, and is I think generally not considered part of the typical NASCAR demographic, but he loved tuning in to cuss at Jeff Gordon. So like okay, like that was and, and you know Brazilians tend to really are really into F1. <laughs> and, yeah. and so like, you know, all, all of these things that I knew here, but also uh, many of the things that I don't love about college sports or feel kind of uneasy about with sports in general also seem to be like turned up to like 11 within the F1 world, right? And if you're like, ah, maybe I'm a little bit uncomfortable with like rampant, rampant uh, corporate and, and just throwing money at stuff here from third party interests within college athletics. Well, brother, like, that seems to be what F1 kind of is, right? The, the, the race schedule is kind of like a who's who of, uh, of um, problematic despots and, 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 and maybe cities where we, we don't want to be doing uh, you know, sports washing or anything. So I'm like, I, I don't know. But it did activate a part of my lizard brain, which is cars go fast. And what is one of the very first toys that we play with when we're, when we're babies? It's cars. Like to, would like to see things go fast and make loud noises. And I, the, and I will also say the Netflix documentary series worked like a charm for me because that humanized and, and provided context to the actual people involved in this. And I haven't watched all four seasons of it. I'm kind of, I'm kind of chipping away at it in a way that I don't think I would have gotten from the actual broadcast. Because it seems to me like what makes this fun isn't just cars go fast, but you pick a couple of these drivers who you decided are now mortal enemies or now like blood brothers and you want to just to, to scream at them that way. And that's cool. And like, that is something I think maybe college athletics hasn't done historically a very good job of, of really humanizing the players, the dominant figures in college sports, I think historically have been coaches or the institution itself rather than the players because the players are, are gone pretty quickly and, and SIDs and, and schools that try to put walls like that kind of all access documentary over that length of time wouldn't have been done with Ohio State football. Like even like the, the college version of hard knocks are still really pretty sanitized. But maybe that's something to change, especially if you were like if I was somebody trying to grow interest in like college lacrosse or college hockey or college softball, I would be trying to figure out how do I work with ESPN Plus or the SEC Network or somebody to build something equivalent for Oklahoma softball? Like that to me seems like a pretty good business. But what I mean, what do I know, man? I'm a I'm a I'm a dumb blogger. But like that that makes seems like good business sense to me, right? 
Well, I mean, a lot of schools already kind of do versions of that, right? You know, they, they've had the kind of behind the scenes look, but but you're right, the, the sanitized nature of it, you know, it really is just kind of showing the highlights and really focusing a, a lot on the results, right? We're, we're not really going to class with a lot of these athletes. We're not showing how difficult it is for them on, on a day-to-day basis, right? To handle work, you know, work-life balance, I guess, if, if you could say, it, put it put it that way. I mean, look, I you're, you're practicing. This is work, yeah. <laughs> it definitely is. You're, you're practicing, you're, you're up in the morning, you're lifting weights. Uh, a lot of the athletes, especially in, in the non-football, men's basketball type, you know, they're, they've got a second job, you know, that, uh, that they've got to go to at night or maybe they're in the libraries, uh, you know, running study hall or something like that to, to, to help help out with the bills. You have uh, obviously the added pressures of studying for tests, writing papers. You know, I, I know uh, just thinking back to those days, it was always difficult to get it done. And I didn't have the, the athlete load, right? And, and so I think a lot of people can relate to that. But they, they typically do not end up showing that aspect if you're going to do some of these behind the scenes um, series, at, at least at the college level. I mean, we, we've seen Showtime did one a couple of years ago. They, they followed Notre Dame. They followed Navy, a couple others, Florida State, I believe. Uh, we The drive at, at Pac-12 Networks has followed a couple of schools during the season as well and kind of tr- tried to provide yeah. some of those behind the scenes glimpses. But you're right. The, the thing that the Netflix show does so well is highlight those those personalities and the personality conflicts, you know, that that emerge out of the, the competition. And uh, frankly, that, that's something that a lot of sports are trying to replicate. They're, they're trying to already do that with golf and tennis and, and try to do basically that version of drive to survive for those sports at, at the professional level. And look, yeah, I'm going to stop you right here, right there real quick. I'm going to make an executive decision. I'm not promoting the, the golf one. You know who's making the golf one. They're not getting PR on this on this show. Like I, Maybe it's great. I don't know. But like that's a Vox Media production. They know what they did. <laughs> I, I I will avoid uh, watching the golf one. In, in you, you, case, listen, but, you can watch it. Anyone else, feel free to watch. I'm just saying, I'm not going to promote it on here. Like, uh, sorry, Chad. Understandable. And and look, the the thing though is it's it's all about how can we grow interest in in our sport. And, and I think there there are a lot of interesting things too that uh, you can take away from the fact that F1. Look, this was used to be Bernie Ecclestone's like like baby. The, you know, it was very much a, a mom and pop. You know, kind of organization that was running these F1 races around the world. And yeah. you know, they got bought by Liberty Media, which is uh, a big rights player here in the United States. They obviously own the Braves and, and other uh, entities. And so they've brought a much more kind of Americanized media as, you know, version of, of F1 and, and really kind of transformed things in, in not only just the races and bring them to spots like Miami and, and Las Vegas and, and Austin already here in the, in the United States, but um, really have tried to dial up, you know, the interest uh, worldwide. And it's, it's certainly working. It's not just a growing sport in, in America. And I mean, this is uh, something that I go back, you know, when I lived overseas a, a, as a kid, you know, you used to see the Ferrari shop. You used to see the interest in, you know, people like Mick Schumacher. You used to see the massive crowds that would go to places, you know, in, in Italy and in, in the UK. And uh, you have these these terrific, you know, historic racing uh, organizations like Williams and, and Mercedes and, and, and uh, McLaren that would, uh, you know, have really brand loyalty, you know, across the globe and, uh, you know, taking it from that to, you know, where it is nowadays, you know, increasing the, the social media presence of F1 tremendously over the last couple of years. I mean, this is, um, you know, really had some some thought to it. And I think if college athletics leaders kind of look at the broader picture, they can take away uh, a few of the, the, the lessons learned from this. I know everybody wants to do that and, and start growing, but at, at the end of the day, you also have, have to have a, a focus on the personalities because that is not only the lifeblood of your sport, but it, it's also what, um, you know, 
really can bring that human connection to something that, uh, let's face it, a lot of fans, they're not going to be going 200 miles an hour at, at any point in their lives. So how can you make that connection to somebody in that car wearing a big helmet that uh, you really only kind of see as a big logo on the side? So it, yeah. it, it's going to be unique, I think, for college athletic leaders to maybe take a few lessons from this and, and apply it to what they are doing, especially as these new media rights deals are, are coming up and they, they can maybe have some flexibility in terms of doing what they, they need to uh, to grow the sport. It's those are all those are all great points. The one of the geniuses I think about the show wasn't just that it it created, showed the personality of the athlete and it you know it showed you the driver in situations independent of driving the car. It showed you you know around their their house or in their community or how other people or other people treated them, but it also showed how they fit in with the entire enterprise. So, right, like I would not know what a director of an F one racing team does. I would not know about mechanic drama. I would not know about how any of these pieces fit together. Like, y'all, I drive a Kia. Like, I could not be less of a Ferrari guy and know how this world works unless you took me by the hand and showed me. And part of the impetus for this program and for extra points and why our entire company exists is because we think every single part of this operation matters and is interesting from the quarterback to the softball player to the dobo to the person who's shaking you know, working with Learfield to the athletic director to all these different component parts and i watched several of the behind the scenes stuff that's done here too and like the breakouts like the breakout stars well part of what makes like hard knocks interesting or, or you know when it was interesting now it's I think it's kind of it's kind of hit or miss it would be sometimes even the people that aren't actually on the football team right like I think of like the Cleveland Browns coach who looked like he was 400 pounds and talking about how nobody stretched before they like stormed the beaches of Normandy and like these other characters that you wouldn't get to know every football team has weirdos like that every locker room every administrative building I understand that we are not dealing with F1 money or, or, or have the same, you know, or, or can get something on Netflix the, the, the same way. But I think I think they did that really well. And, and you kind of really have to baby people to get them into a sport that they might not otherwise. Because, you know, not, not a lot of Americans like their, their dad and their dad and their dad watched F1. And then, they, I mean, I don't even know how you would have heard of Williams necessarily in this in this country unless you're a gearhead. Or, or maybe I'm just being unsophisticated. But the fact that they've been able to do this works has been great, which makes me think there may be ways to do it for, for other other sports. And, and what will, yeah, what will be truly interesting to see is, is just can it be sustained and can yeah. this keep going? Because, you know, we you mentioned uh, that this, this country has had its fascination not only with, with kind of that, that car culture, but look, you know, the Indi Indianapolis 500 is, is always one of the most watched races, you know, in, in, in the country uh, every single year. You have NASCAR, which is really popular maybe 10, 15 years ago, and it, it's obviously come down to the pack. But still, even the, this weekend, the NASCAR race uh, outrated the F1 race. So there's still a lot of interest in NASCAR, a lot of sponsorship money, a lot of sponsorship dollars, um, you know, some some unique, uh, I think, factors into uh, various uh, racing entities. But uh, I think for, for a lot of folks, that's kind of like college football now. You know what? The Pac-12 is vastly different from from the SEC from a perspective. Yeah, they're, they're kind of similar in terms of they're playing college football and, and uh, the, the down uh, markers are still the same. But in terms of how they play, in terms of how they run their programs, in terms of the philosophy surrounding their programs, that's different as well. And so I think it is, it's that kind of unique blend that uh, people can attach uh, to attach on to that uh, I think does make uh, for interesting parallels with, with 
college athletics and, and college football in particular. And it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, kind of what the, the F1 effect will have, because I think it's not just not just college athletics. Uh, you know, the NFL is looking at this. The NBA is looking at this. What can they take from what is happening with this, especially with, um, you know, the younger demographics to use in, in their sports? Because uh, everybody wants to grow. There is that 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 drumbeat for growth, not just from investors, not just from you know owners that uh, want to make more money, but also in, in the case, case of college athletics from universities that want to get their brands out there even more so than it is right now. Yeah. The last thing I think I'll mention about F1 that may just be something to think about. I love college football. That is my number one sport with the bullet. I plan my schedule around it. A college football broadcast routinely exceeds three and a half hours. Like it's a big deal. One of the, and this is, and I, I, people have tried to use this as the primary pitch for selling me on soccer. And I really get this appeal. And this is kind of a nice thing about F1. The events don't take four hours. A race, if the weather's good, is two, right? Like maybe a little bit more than that if you watch some of the, the pre-gaming. A soccer match certainly doesn't take that long either. In a world where attention spans have been shot to hell and people are looking for ways to engage with content without having to make the same kind of gigantic time commitment or ways to engage with it on their phones or in video games or with fantasy or with other ways besides the broadcast, having a shorter broadcast seems like it would be a real asset. Yeah, I think that's huge, and I think that you know, truthfully, the NCA, the the player, you know, rules oversight, and, and everybody's kind of involved in in, in uh, creating rules have identified game, you know, game time as, as a big issue. Look, the networks themselves would, would love a more compact product so they can have more ad breaks and they can sell things and they can have studio shows that make a lot of money that uh, they don't really have to spend a whole lot on um, in between games. Like, th- there's a lot of emphasis I think in the game right now, from the NFL level to the college football level and beyond, to kind of make sure that. They Things are not only more compact, but like, like you're you're saying, focus more towards the demographics that are consuming them. And uh, we'll, we'll we'll see if uh, you know even more drastic changes. We we've seen a few rule changes that will be go into effect for the 2022 season. We'll see. I know there's been a lot of talk about you know making sure that the clocks run, um, you know, and, and not stop on the first down. Very similar to the NFL, except for like the last two minutes of of things. And yeah, maybe we'll get there. Um, you know, I'm just not sure in terms of how much time are we actually going to end up saving uh, that it'll make a huge difference. Because look, a lot of the, the thing about college football uh, that uh, the reason for a lot of those games, uh, a lot of it is the pageantry, you know, and, and uh, you know showing those crowd shots, you know, making sure there's time between to to focus on that backup right tackle who's thrown into the fire. And uh, you know, as, as nice as it is to have those kind of clean two hour windows and things like soccer, um, it, it's going to be difficult to kind of bring college football in particular all the way back to that but we'll see kind of going forward yeah i I, again to kind of put a bow on all of this here my deeply researched and passionate take is i don't know um i i i I can look at this and think yeah there's there's some things to learn and also like i'm also not gonna sit here and say like i'm definitely going to be deeply invested in this sport for the next six years i don't know do i plan on watching the next race which is in uh, monaco right like in uh yeah, I, 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 if I can, I, I will. I, I haven't figured out exactly. There's like, there's no Brazilian, and I don't. I haven't figured out exactly who I want to ride or die for. The cool thing about this is I know some, something bad's going to happen to like obnoxiously rich people, and some of them will be like, oh no, the Aston Martin people are unhappy. Like it's it's hard for me to like get mad about that kind of thing. Well, I, I mean, recognize it, it, Yeah, I mean, 
it's it's interesting too because like you know there has been a lot of focus on on Americanizing the, the sport and like you know there's there's been talk about the Andretti's entering and, and yeah, uh, some see, others you know coming in and, and there's always the, the the great hope that there would be an American driver in F1 that can really kind of take the sport to the next level and we'll see if there's anybody I don't know if there's really anybody kind of coming up through the pipelines that would be interesting but you look at like Zhou uh, Guan Yu uh, you know is, is involved he, he's the first Chinese driver and, and obviously there's a bit of a marking component to that as well you you would get interest from from his home country and um, you know like th- there are kind of there was things you know back going back uh, last year with Nikita Mazepin and, and, and Russia you know ha- getting into that kind of market so uh, there is uh, always a, a global kind of perspective with, with a lot of these things but um, you're, you're right there's there's no Brazilian but I think the, the Americanization of the sport is definitely here and here to stay and uh, part of that is because you know what they're, they're, they're owned by a company based kind of out on the outskirts of Denver so that that obviously is, is kind of you know prominent for them but I think there are just a, again a ton of lessons and I'd be curious too like if, if we had to have like the drive to survive for college football or, or even just college athletics I think it'd be interesting to like have drive to survive about Oklahoma softball this year you know like they're, they're going on this historic run it would be cool to kind of go behind the scenes to they're like demolishing people yeah they, like uh, yeah I, I would love to be in a locker room to, to hear hey how do you stay motivated after like beating people like you know run ruling them two weeks in a row and what, what are you like 40 and one or, or whatever like yeah that that sounds like compelling television to me but i mean the big big 10 hockey right you know a very unique sport like the, the, a lot of programs that have, have kind of come out of nowhere to to really have a lot of success they, they've had you know fancy new arenas you know michigan was was in the frozen four recently so it's like Gross. maybe following a, a big 10 uh program like that w- would be kind of cool on the the college hockey scene um you know lacrosse beach volleyball we, we've seen a lot of these emerging sports uh we, we already talked about men's soccer and, and some of the changes coming to that like it, it would be fun to kind of get truly behind the scenes and and, and focus not just on the person personalities but like what is what is happening day to day for for those athletes and hopefully some of the schools are, are taking some of these ideas and saying you know what we, we should have that and uh, let's let's invest in that content to showcase our student athletes it's going to help them it's going to help them with nil deals it's going to help them with you know going down the road to, to be spotlighted and, and be tied into this university and, and this fan base and, and hopefully grow and create some more fans down the road as well friends if you all of you listening subscribe to extra points Will we have enough money to start an F1 team? No. Will we have enough money to bankroll some interesting behind-the-scenes documentaries at the Division One level? No. Would we have enough money to maybe bully somebody else into thinking about doing that? Maybe. There's only one way to find out, and that's by subscribing, uh, which you can do for just $8 a month, or if you are a college student, graduate or undergrad, for just four bucks a month at extrapointsmb.com so you can make sure that you get everything. Um, speaking of emerging sports, I don't know if this is going to be in the show notes or not. I did have a chance to talk to somebody uh, involved in acrobatics and tumbling, which is a, a, a sport that is in the process of leaving the emerging sport category to potentially becoming an, an NCAA sanctioned sport. Enough institutions are sponsoring it now where they can apply for that championship format. Um, I had a chance to talk to people about why that's uh, why that sport is growing and and how they're able to to continue to, to to grow that. There's a couple other emerging sports in that category too. You can listen to that for free at Collegiate Sports Connect, where Brian has also been producing a lot of other uh, engaging and interesting new videos about uh, people in this space. Um, last thing, I think I would be remiss if I didn't promote this. If you like this podcast, would you please tell people it's pretty good? Give us some five stars on your various hosting platforms so the algorithm bumps us up. Also, I don't know, leave a comment on YouTube, retweet it on Twitter, 
Tell your colleagues in the office, because I quite frankly, I know a bunch of you in the office are reading Do You Want Do You Want Ticker? You're you're probably reading extra points. Maybe say, hey, maybe maybe give these two schmucks a, a try on your drive home. Boost those download numbers, which then helps us bring in other sponsors, which we can then use to launder to create documentaries and or racing teams. We might have to start with like sponsoring dirt bikes in like West Virginia, but maybe we can move up to the big big fast cars. Who knows? Jump in, jump in the karting world. We'll go from there. You yeah. never know where it will take us. Yeah. Well, the, po- the point is, give us some of your money so we can invest it in a speculative sporting enterprise, which is the most college football thing I think we could possibly do. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you later this week. 